We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Get oh, he's hurt. Oh, he's mothered that chicken. He's the chicken. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Lovert skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. All right, Focci, Pacers are back on another three-game winning streak. How are you feeling? I'm telling you, Alex, this team, they do not let you go just when you got one foot out the door. Here comes the boys with another three-game winning streak pulling you back in. I mean, do you feel good, though, about this winning streak? No, I do not feel good. We just beat down on three of the worst teams in the league. But wins are wins. And, and you know, here's how I'll put it, Alex. I don't feel good about the team, but it has been a bit fun to watch lately, like the young guys, like the Shea Brissett, the Edmund Sumners. We're starting to see some young guys stepping up that hasn't made it too painful to watch. Yes, I was just going to ask you because despite who we have played, we've been without some of our top guys, you know. Oh, yeah. No Warren, no Sabonis, no Turner. Obviously, Warren's been out all year. But, you know, no Jeremy Lamb. I mean, Doug McDermott missed some time. I mean, no Goga Batadze. You're starting O'Shea Brissett at center with Jakar Sampson coming back for the last two games. I mean, it's just with what the Pacers have had to put on the floor. I mean, are you at all impressed with how they've won these games? I am because they could have rolled over and died. And we would have been like, what do you expect with – out those guys that you just named it's it's a long list of guys that are out and it's like the the next man up has just stepped up O'Shea Brissett playing 42 minutes at center that's a heroic effort right there I mean he put on a show against OKC but also you saw 
good performances against the Pistons and even the Magic. I mean, he managed to put together, I think it was like 13 and 8. You know, it's like we're seeing a guy who is is showing a lot. And at this point in the season, man, I'm tipping my hat to the front office because that was a great signing of O'Shea set for a three-year deal. Yeah, I'm really impressed with O'Shea. We talked about it. When they signed him to those 10-day uh, contracts, we were begging him, please let this guy get a chance to play. Dang. And if, if you watch anything from the G League, you can see why we were saying that because, like, he fits the bill for what they really want at that small ball four. And sure, you can play him at small ball five every once in a while, but I mean, I don't want to do it long term, no. but for short stance, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I look at the teams that we played and was not impressed against OKC, almost yeah. gave that one up in the fourth quarter. The game against um, Detroit, I don't know what Detroit was doing. Like, it seemed like they were not trying to tank, but they were because they still had Plumlee out there. They had Grant out there. So it's like they were trying to win, but like not fully. And then clearly Orlando just mailed that in the second half. They didn't even try to come close. <laughs> no, so that was like, a beat down. Yeah, so it's like I looked at it, and I don't know if you saw my tweet last night. I, I, I hate to say it because it's probably really cringeworthy, but I was a full house guy growing up as a kid, and John Stamos is a guy that I remember being Uncle Jesse. And I, I was cracking up because – he is starring in a new uh, a new TV show on Disney Plus. I believe it's called Big Shot. Okay, and it's about him being a former coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, won multiple national titles there, but he had a temper and he threw a, threw a chair similar to Bobby Knight for IU fans, and it hit one of the referees. And now he's like a banned from college sports, and he can't even get a high school basketball team's gig. It's a high school girls team. And so anyway, I'm watching this show and I'm just laughing because it's like, it's actually not a bad show. Like if you're talking like acting wise, like it's not as cringeworthy as I thought it would be, but I'm watching it with my wife. And he said this, Foch, and I think it's very relatable to the Pacers. I, I tweeted this last night. I said, the quote from John Stamos in this show is, we are not defined by beating players that are worse than us. We are defined by beating teams that are better than us. And that's, that's I mean, it's a cheesy Disney quote, but I, I think it's very applicable to this Pacers team, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, my God, yes, we're back. Get Savonis and Turner back. We're going to make a run at this. No. no. We no. we beat the three worst teams probably besides the Rockets in the entire NBA. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. Like, these these games are so boring. I don't even think I watched a game the entire way through it, any of them. I had them on in the background, had family over Saturday. I was busy doing stuff on Friday watch parts of it but i'm just telling you i just was not that or yeah it was no saturday sunday had family over saturday was busy sunday night wasn't able to watch it all on wednesday i was just like whatever i mean if they win they win if they lose they lose yeah i i mean i i hear you on that uh, i i felt like i i started out being like oh man this is just not gonna go good the okc game i managed to watch uh most of it couldn't catch the end of the fourth quarter but I was starting to get intrigued by O'Shea's performance over there. Yeah. Pistons game, I was able to catch that. And Edmund Sumner, I mean, Sumner really jumped off the page for me. And the Magic game, caught the first three quarters. For, by the fourth quarter, I was like, you know what, we, we got this one. Uh, I do have <laughs> some other stuff going on that I have to tend to. But, you know, at the same point, 
I, I took joy in watching the young players on there. I didn't want to overlook these wins. And just like you said before, be like, oh, man, like, why can't we pull an upset in the first round? And I know we'll cover, you know, what could possibly happen if the Pacers are to make the playoffs later in this episode. But I didn't want to get ahead of myself. I just took joy in going, wow, you know what? There's been some guys that have stepped up. And, and I think that the one thing I would have liked to have seen would have been more Goga during this stretch. But for guys like Sumner and Brissett, I mean, it's it's that's the joy that I took at this part in the season when it could have gotten real dark real quick. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I, I just feel so conflicted because I, I, I like seeing the young guys play well and I like seeing them getting some wins because it's building up that morale for them. But I'm also sitting here thinking, is this really what's best for the team? And it's no, not. No, it's not at all. No, it's <laughs> don't not. It's so, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's like I'm conflicted. Like, I don't want to root for them to I'm, I'm like, I don't want to root for them to lose, but I secretly do. It's like, ah. I'm just, and I feel, I feel like a lot of fans probably feel that way. It's like, yeah, I've never been so unenthusiastic about a three-game winning streak. And, you know, I usually um, play a video after the Pacers win. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've stopped doing that. That's true. I have not posted one because I said I will not post a win victory until (laughs) a win video until they get over 500. I'm not doing it. I'm not celebrating mediocre basketball. Like, you know, last year we did it all the time because they were like, what, 48? It was was a very respectful record. Yeah, it's like we're, we're sitting here, you know, beating the Magic who don't even have any star level players. They haven't even have their coach. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, didn't have their coach Terrence Ross didn't play. All they had was Wendell Carter Jr. And we're supposed to sit here and post a video about how big the Pacers one was. Nah, I mean, cool. I'll say some nice things about him, but I'm, I'm not going to sit here and like share a video because I'm so pumped because we beat the Magic. I mean, the Orlando tragic. Good grief! It's like oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not worried about that. But anyway, I just I just want to say like, if fans are really wanting this team to win and make the playoffs and play and like everything is going great for you, if you're looking at it from a bigger picture type of point of view where I'm at, and you're really wanting to get a high draft pick, like. You cannot be too excited about these wins. But at the same time, I think that there's something you can find happiness in. And that is seeing, like you said, O'Shea, Brissett, and Edmund Sumner playing well. So, Fachi, I've got to ask you this. This is a, a big picture thought. But Edmund Sumner, O'Shea, Brissett more than likely will be part of our bench next year, mm-hmm. along with Goga Batadze. Do you believe in that young core as being key parts of a successful playoff team off the bench? Oh, key parts of a successful playoff team? Ah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're moving with the Pacers going forward, Goga's status is going to be completely dependent on the, the statuses of Miles Turner and DeMontis Bonus. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's just how it is. Brissett, I do see Brissett and Sumner fitting in with this team next year and, and playing, you know, good minutes. I would love for Goga to put to play good minutes, like strong minutes, like getting at least 20 minutes per game, not that like 11 minutes, you know, in spurts of three to four minutes at a time. But I do think that Brissett, I mean, I think these are pieces. I do. Now, a successful playoff team, I don't know. If you were to throw them on some of the top contenders in the league, they might struggle to get some, some solid minutes. I see them as being solid rotational pieces for the Pacers, but successful, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, because here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking, let's say they do, in fact, they could trade one of the bigs and they get a starter back in return for that. But let's just say for, you know, time for where we're at right now, we'll just say they have the starting five of Brogdon, Lavert, TJ Warren, Sabonis, and Turner. They don't re-sign McConnell and McDermott. They have Brissett. They have Edmund Sumner. They have Justin Holiday. They have Goga. Aaron is still on the bench, but what is he really doing? They 
Um, they've got Jeremy Lamb still in the mix, and then they have their draft pick. And, and quite frankly to me, I, I just think, well, whoever they draft, let's just, for fun, let's just say Davion Mitchell. So then you're having a super young backcourt or a super young bench unit. I just, you know, I'm not sure where the where the future lies with this team or what kind of move they make, but I think that they need to figure out a way to, number one, bolster the bench. I think Brissett and Sumner have proven – in these last couple of games that they could be a part of it. I think Goga's still a question mark, like you said, but I still yeah. think he's a first round draft pick, someone that I think they're really invested in. Oh, yeah. So based on who they get in the draft, I think could really determine uh what they do move wise in the offseason. But yeah, I just I was just curious thinking about that core because I don't think Aaron Holiday is going to be a part of it, unfortunately. And I just feel like if you're talking Goga, cat uh Edmonds, I'm not Cash Stanley. Sorry, I'm looking at that card you gave me sitting over here on my desk. Um <laughs> But Kat, I did it again. <laughs> Edmund Sumner, Goga, and Brissett. If you're looking at those three, could those guys be three major components of your bench? It's like part of you wants to say yes. Part of you like looks on paper like that's not good and that's not going to get it done. But they've been doing pretty well with the minutes they've been given. Exactly. Here's the thing. I cannot sit here and knock Edmund Sumner when he is coming off back-to-back games of 20-plus points or more. And we've seen the hustle, the energy, you know, for the past two months. I mean, over the past month, he's averaging over 11 points per game on 57% shooting. And he's shooting well from three. The guy has stepped up. He can't really be doing more now. And O'Shea Brissett, I can't help but think of the Lose Yourself song from Eminem where it's saying, one, you know, this is your opportunity, this is your shot. Like, you know, palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. This man stood up and when it mattered most, when he got his opportunity, he seized it. And for right now, I, I just think that this is a guy that belongs in the league and he belongs on this Pacers team. And I think that that's the backup power forward. I think we, we were kind of looking for all year. And I, I like what Brissett's brought to the table. I want to see more. No, I completely agree. I love uh, Brissett. And I think Edmund Sumner has been awesome as well. I mean, those two guys have been such a fun story to watch. I jokingly said Edmund Sumner has been consistently the best pl- uh, player on the Pacers for the last two months. Joking aside, I mean, he's not been the best player, but he's been very impactful. And I, I think it goes all back to when we were having issues and I said, sit Justin Holiday, start. Edmund Sumner. Remember when I brought that up? Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. I just felt like he is a game changer. I understand why you might like him off the bench because of that same reason. But if he's going to shoot threes as consistently, he's active in passing lanes. He's good at going through, fighting through screens, playing defense. I mean, he's just a guy that makes sense. And I think Brissett kind of makes sense for what they want in that ideal power forward spot. So when Sabonis comes back from that back injury or Turner comes back from that toe injury, whoever comes back first, I think you roll with Brissett and Sumner with Brogdon and Lavert for the rest of the season. Bring McDermott, bring Justin Holiday, bring McConnell, put that same unit that was there before back on the bench and see what you can get done because I think those two guys fit the need that you want in that starting uh, lineup, and they've earned it. I think they've clearly earned it. We've tried so many different options at the four whenever one of the bigs has been out. McDermott, Lamb, Justin Holiday, they're just not cutting it. I think Brissett gives you the size that you need, and he gives you just that that ability that he's shooting the ball well from three point line. Uh, he's playing pretty good defense. I mean, he's just he's just been really good. I think you got to reward the young guy, and hopefully, it helps uh, stabilize your bench unit a little bit better. 
Exactly, but also Alex, he's rebounding. Yeah, I mean, he's a very capable rebounder. I don't know how long he'll be able to keep this up because obviously you imagine once the Pacers get healthier, his minutes will get cut into, but he's showing that he is a very capable rebounder. And for that, that's something the Pacers have needed big time. But, you know, also just I think while we didn't really mention much, Karis LeVert has played very well yeah. lately. And I, I want to tip my hat to him because – you know, right now he's gotten his average to what would be a career high in a season. It's at about 18.7 points per game. But in the month of April now, he's averaging 21.6 points per game on 46.6% shooting. I mean, that's something that you can't just look over. Lavert is really rounding into form. And I think that since Brogdon came back, he's looked a lot better. Um, and I just think that right now, you know, I don't want to overlook the competition, but I just feel like, the Pacers just they're, they're getting a little something going, but it's not enough to believe in because we're also still letting up a, a ton of points at times. And you're almost wondering how much longer can this team continue to score? You wonder how long that can go on for. Yeah, no, I, I will, I'll say this. I think that Lavert and Brogdon have probably been the two best players on the court the last three games. Mm-hmm. So that to me says enough about the competition they're playing. No offense to those guys, but they're not all-star level players. And I think that that's given them opportunities to kind of showcase their game and get themselves a little bit, uh, you know, get themselves going a little bit, make themselves feel a little bit more comfortable with what they're doing. Because quite frankly, I just, I feel like Brogdon and Lavert were slumping in, in some areas and Lavert still, I mean, his three-point shot has been so MIA. It's not yeah. even been good. But he does a great job of getting in the paint. I think that's what you miss with T.J. Warren this year is having that ball handler and a go-to guy, like a scoring kind of guy, get in the paint. And and Brogdon is not great at that. He has that reverse layup that he does all the time because his vertical is not very high, and so he has to use the rim as protection a lot of times. But I think Lavert is a guy that can put the defense on their heels a little bit. I was curious to ask you because they're averaging about the same numbers, and there's been arguments that Brogdon's been the best player on the court. Um, some people have said Lavert in the last couple of games. I'm just curious. Do you think that Brogdon or Lavert overall is the better player? Ooh, that's tough. That is definitely tough. I think, ah, uh, man, I, I think Lavert might have a higher ceiling, but I, I think that Brogdon could be the better player right now. Mm-hmm. I think Lavert has a higher ceiling. Um, I mean, Lavert's playing. I mean, uh, Brogdon's playing some real good basketball right now. I think at times, you know, he's looked – I don't want to – like I said, I don't want to overlook the Orlando Magic, but, I mean, he was destroying the Thunder. I mean, against Atlanta, he he was real good as well. I mean, he's had some some great games lately over stretch. Mm-hmm. But I think that Lavert just – I don't know. He brings a little something extra to the court where I feel like he has the ability to maybe go off for a, a 35, 40-point game where I feel like Brogdon uh, – I don't, I don't really – I don't want to say that I don't see that, but I think that he's more of a steady, consistent type player. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say Brogdon <laughs> might be the more consistent player. Yeah. But I think the upside with Lavert, like they're the, the potential. And yes, exactly. What, what you can get with Lavert on any given night, you can get from Brogdon, I think. But then there's times where we've seen it in Lavert's young career where he's been able to go off for 40 points. I think there might have been a game where he 50. had 50 points. Yep. So, you know, he's got that in him to do it. Now, I, Brogdon to me does not. Brogdon is too sluggish. Yep. Uh, Brogdon's not super quick off the dribble, where I think Levert's a little bit more quick off the dribble. 
as far as decision-making goes, I think Levert's gotten a lot better in that area. I mm-hmm. think Brogdon's a smart basketball player. But I think I think that while Brogdon might be the better overall player right now at this point, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think the upside with Levert is just he is someone I would invest more money in if I was a team paying a player. But at the same time, he does have some injury concerns. And he's not been really so injured. Brogdon. <laughs> yeah, but not as bad because Levert's had a lot of injuries. Like Brogdon had some in Milwaukee. Like the foot issue was a big thing. But I think Levert's had quite a few injuries himself. So really this team to me, it just does not have a good bill of health. But um, anyway, let's move on. We got two big games this week that we want to talk about. The Pacers um, play the Portland Trailblazers in the Brooklyn Nets. Two games that are going to be very tough. Fachi, looking at that Portland game, the Pacers took care of business in Portland for the first time in what felt like maybe 15 years. I can't remember what the last time was. They took care of business in Portland this year on the road after trading Victor Oladipo for Karis Levert. You know, they just dominated that game from start to finish. What What are your thoughts on this upcoming game against uh, Portland Trailblazers, a team that's kind of been struggling? Very much struggling. They've lost 10 out of their last 13, but you never want to overlook Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Now, I believe the last time we played Portland, there was no McCollum, I believe. Um, so that, that does change things. Um, right now, I mean, it would be obviously fitting for Portland to struggle like this and then all of a sudden get back on track against the Pacers. But, you know, in this matchup, Portland shoots a lot of threes. They shoot a lot of threes, uh, and they shoot it at, at a good clip. I mean, they're second in the league in three-pointers made. They're seventh in three-pointers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Percentage. So you never really know. It sounds cheesy but it's obviously going to say how do you defend you know Damian Lillard I mean that that's that's going to what's it's really going to come down to a lot um I I think that Portland they're also a team that turns the ball over the fewest in the league at 11 times per game so you know there's definitely some some things over here some key stats but at the end of the day can you defend Dame or not yeah well let me let me say this because we just talked about how Karras and Brogdon probably were the two best players on the court and that's why the Pacers probably won those games, you know, against those bad teams. Mm-hmm. I think you look at Portland and you say, Dame Lillard is better than anybody the Pacers have. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. 
from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Yes. And no CJ McCollum, probably better than anybody on the Pacers roster. So, you know, I, I say those two guys alone, especially if Goga or Sabonis is not back, they are going to have a field day. I mean, they might be the most three-point shoot – one of the higher three-point shooting teams in the league, but if there's no center down there, they are going to get to the rim at will, I think. And, you know, they, they picked up Norm Powell, who's been a notorious Pacers killer, and then they got your boy Carmelo Anthony, who's been shooting the three-point ball well. This, to me, feels like a game where Melo could go off. Don't know why, but I just feel like it is one of those games where he could go off. I think more than likely Norman Powell has a good game. But, yeah, I just when you look at Dame and CJ, I, I feel like this is where the Pacers, um, they, they get their first loss after this three-game winning streak just because they've not played a team with this much talent. And, and quite frankly, Portland needs to turn things around because they, they are now seventh in the Western Conference. The Dallas Mavericks have just jumped them in the standings after, after Sunday night's game. So we're recording this Monday at 6, so things could change by then, but I just – Wanted to let you all know that they are now seventh in the Western Conference, which means they are in the playing game, and they do not want to be in that situation. So, yeah, I think that they're a team that definitely wants to get on the winning track, and what better way to start than against a Pacers team that is without most of their big guys. Exactly. It just feels that way that this game for Portland is probably going to mean a bit more for them than it does for us. And I know that sounds you know wrong. How could you say that, this, this, and that? But Portland needs to right the ship. Dame has been struggling big time against Memphis, 8 of 27. The previous game against Memphis, 8 of 22, 9 of 23, 9 of 23. I mean, he's struggled lately. I just feel like he's due. I mean, how could you – you can't keep a player <laughs> that good down for so long. So it's just like, hey, the Pacers are going to have their hands full, um, and, and it's not a game that I want to look over and just say, Portland's struggling, they'll keep struggling. It's like, ah, oh, I'm worried about this one. No, yeah, I mean, if you're wanting a win, now if you're like me and don't care if we want to lose, it's uh, and you're like, hey, you know, this gets us closer to the, um, you know, nine ten seed. I'm fine with it, but yeah, I mean, Portland's a good team, and I don't think that their record really reflects who they are. I just think that they've been going through a little bit of a slump, but this is the mo of this season. It's just a lot of wear and tear on these guys, a lot of minutes, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, minutes and a lot of games back to back. So these guys are going to have heavy and tired legs. We've seen that some, some, from some guys for the Pacers. Like, I think Justin Holiday, prime example, heavy legs, long season for him. He started in a ton of games this year, much more minutes than he probably ever thought he would much be. Much more. You know, adding, adding to his, uh, to his you know, 30-some-year-old body, one of the older Pacers, actually the oldest Pacer. Yep. So, you know, he's he's had to definitely put some miles on those on those legs. But, yeah, I just – I just feel like this is a tough game for the Pacers to win, and I and I don't see a uh, a win here for the Pacers. I, I think Portland is the more desperate team, and quite frankly, if Detroit was hitting shots, they could have easily beaten us. They missed so many shots when we went to that zone. Yeah, and um, you you put better players out there like who we mentioned earlier. They're going to probably more than likely knock down those shots, and that's going to be the end of the Pacers in this one. But they got another game against the Brooklyn Nets on Thursday, and I want to get your thoughts on Brooklyn so far this year, Foch. I mean, it's weird because in the end, it doesn't look like James Harden's going to come back for the regular season. The, the all signs are kind of pointing that he's probably not going to make that comeback. Kevin Durant and Kyrie have been in and out of the lineup, and they're really not skipping a beat. I mean, 
Brooklyn probably going to end up with a one seed. A lot could happen, but they're very strong contenders up there. Uh, a team that is second in the league in scoring. And in the end, it looks like Harden, Durant, and Kyrie are only going to play seven games together. And I really don't think it matters. I think they're going to get it together when it matters come playoff time. They have, those are three of the more talented players in this league. And we've struggled against Brooklyn without Kevin Durant, without Kyrie. It really didn't matter who was out there. We struggled against Brooklyn. It's going to be a hard game. Kind of almost like I don't even want to go there and be like, it, since nothing makes sense, maybe the Pacers even pull this upset just because it, it really just comes out of nowhere. But it's like you look at the Brooklyn roster and you're like, well, Kevin Durant's back this time around. Unless they rest Durant or Kyrie on paper, how are the Pacers going to be able to get this one? I've been watching the Brooklyn. That's a little bit more on TV recently. And, man, Kyrie is just so good at basketball. He like, really is. I share that weird story just to say, like, all things aside, like this guy is just a wizard with the basketball. I think I was watching them play the Nets, or not the Nets, the, the Pelicans the other night. And it was like Alonzo was coming back, making some big clutch shots and trying to get this team back to it. Zion had a couple of nice plays, and then Kyrie was just cashing shots. And I'm like, okay. And then they got to ramp back, and he had a huge game off the bench coming back against the Phoenix Suns on Sunday. So, you know, I just feel like if either of these guys play, it's going to be you know, hands full. The Blake Griffin, I, I heard the other day on a podcast that he leads the NBA in charges taken this season. Like, well, okay, that's so wow. random. Yeah. But, you know, so it's it's interesting to hear all this stuff. But I, I just – this is going to be a tough week for the Pacers. <laughs> Any positive stuff you got feeling about a winning streak, you know, they could be Portland. If they get lucky, they could be Brooklyn. Um, I, just, I just think these teams are just better than them. And this is kind of how it's been all season long. The Pacers – have really struggled in the second half against really good teams, and I don't think it's going to change. But, yeah, Brooklyn, Kevin Durant, obviously this is a guy that's had a, a unique year. I think Nick Wright did a huge thing about how many games he's played since he uh, went out against the Warriors in that finals with that injury. I think he's only played in like 25 games in like 400 days or something like that. Like it's ridiculous wow. how many games he has missed and, and how many how many games he's only played in a certain amount of days. So – Long story short, I just think that he's back. This Nets team is destined for for great things this season. I think you said it great. They haven't really even played that many games together, but I don't think it matters because at the end of the day, when it comes to the playoffs, you're talking about half-court basketball. And there's out of those three guys, I think that they're probably the some of the best isolation scorers in the entire NBA. I would say they're definitely in the top five, top seven Mm -hmm. out of the entire NBA in isolation scorers. So if one's not feeling it, they got two other guys that could. So they're destined for great things. And quite frankly, the Pacers aren't destined for great things this season. But it, so you know, we can't lie to ourselves out here. The, we the can't. Nets on paper, are an unbelievable team that has every right to feel like they could get it done at the end of yeah. the year. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think anybody that's really watching this Pacers team, especially not knowing what's going to happen with the injuries, would, would pick Brooklyn to win this game. So that's where I'm at. I think we're going to go 0-2. But I think it'd still be fun to uh, to kind of recap these games and just see how we look because, you know, this is a, this is a t- Pacers team that's been kind of fun to watch because of the injuries and maybe getting to see new guys. I will say this. The best thing about not seeing Sabonis and Turner is not having to hear the ongoing – 
oh, well, Turner wasn't out there and plus minus with Turner, plus minus with Sabonis. Well, you know, it's been great not having to see all that on Twitter. I won't lie. Well, Alex, I'm about to stir something up now because I saw something today. Our friends over at Born Ready to Pod tweeted this. (laughs) And these are some skewed stats that'll just get you mad. So with Turner and Sabonis, the Pacers are 21 and 24. Without Turner, we're 7 and 6. Without Sabonis, we're five and two. Without Turner or Sabonis, we're eight and seven. Well, without Turner and Sabonis, we're four and one. And if you looked at that blindly, you go four and one. Wow. Well, you know what? Three of those wins were just against OKC, the Magic, and Detroit. That stat right there, you can throw out the window because <laughs> I just feel like those three wins mean as little as wins could possibly mean. So I don't want to overlook, you know, no Sabonis, no Turner. If you threw this same team out there for 82 games that we've seen right now, I promise you the results would not be good. No, they would be, um, they'd be atrocious. who the Pistons are right now, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is what it is. I'm just saying it's been nice to get a break from that. Like it is the ongoing conversation that never stops every single game. Like I know we partake in it. Don't get me wrong. But it's just nice because, like, I, I don't know how many times I get on Twitter. It's like, I feel like Turner and Sabonis could combine. Like, you could have Sabonis could go for 35 points, 15 rebounds, five assists. Miles could have 15 points, 12 rebounds, and seven blocks. And we would still be sitting here complaining about something they did in the game and why one's better oh, than no, the no. other, even though they both would have combined for a huge game statistically. Nobody would care because all they're worried about is you know fighting for their narrative which whatever they want and it's just been refreshing it's like people are just like man Edmund Sumner's fun yeah Brissett's fun oh yeah get him Jakar you know butt his head again like that's kind of what it's been like on Twitter and you know people are people are just kind of laid back and not as all like fired up and riled up talking about the centers because that's been the storyline for the entire season but anyway I just it's been refreshing Fachi and uh, unfortunately those numbers like you said they don't really reflect a whole lot, but I think no. what they do reflect is that one center is better than two. A hundred percent. And someone tweeted out, I, w- I wish I knew who it was, but someone basically said that they felt like the O'Shea Brissett signing was giving off Lance Stevenson vibes, where that, that late little spark plug at the end of the year, all of a sudden, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I don't, he's obviously O'Shea and, and Lance, two totally different players, but you're you're getting that late season signing that's kind of, turned the Pacers season into a a fun thing to watch compared to what could have been a very miserable place. So I was catching some of those vibes. Obviously it's hard to live up to the shoes of, of Lance Stevenson, but uh, I get the reference. I liked it. Yeah. I I think it kind of feels like the beginning of a new year. Like you just made a big acquisition in the off season and you're finally get to see what they look like in a Pacers uniform. That's what it feels like. It's a new guy that you haven't got to see before, and he's playing good. So if he was playing bad, everybody would be like, why did we waste three years on this guy, even after three games? But I think because he's had success, fans are excited. But anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit draft prospect. We're going to talk a little bit about the play-in game, and we're going to answer some of your mailbag questions right after this. All right, we're back. And so me and Fachi have both picked out a prospect that not necessarily we think the Pacers are going to draft, but just somebody that we think would be in that range and kind of just dive into them a little bit and see what they what they bring to the table. So, Fachi, I'll let you go first. 
who is uh, the guy you want to talk about today? So I wanted to be realistic in who I picked as someone that could be there for the Pacers if they are picking right around, I would say, anywhere from like 12 to 16, like right in that range. And the name that I came across that I liked was Zaire Williams um, from Stanford. Now, he was a freshman. What I really liked about Zaire was six foot eight. He's got a good enough wingspan and that he's drawing the comparisons of perhaps a Paul George or a Rudy Gay. He can play small forward. He can play shooting guard. I, I feel like I, I've really wanted that six foot eight small forward, you know, that wing right over there. And that basically the, the, the big knock on him to start with that is his strength. He's only 185 pounds, but how many times have we seen players put on size? If that's your biggest problem, do you guys remember what Giannis was like or Kevin Durant when they came into the league? Stick figures. You're going to put on size. These are kids. These are freshmen. So from looking into some of the things uh, on uh, Zaire, he's a solid off-ball defender, makes some of the right rotations, and a threat to jump passing lanes. He's shown flashes of on-ball excellence as well, and that they believe that some of his strengths is shot-making, rebounding, decision-making. So right over here, I feel like you're getting the tools that you're looking for. He was a five-star recruit, one and done. I felt like he didn't have the year that he wanted at Stanford. It's easy to poke holes in players' games, but at the same point, I feel like this is someone who has high upside on the next NBA level. So Zaire Williams is someone that right now I feel like, hey, if, you're, if you can draw comparisons to a Paul George or Rudy Gay, you have that big body – you know, two-way player that I would love to, the Pacers to be able to acquire via the draft. Yeah, I think he's someone that does have a little bit of a project into him a little bit. He's he's going to be raw. I mean, yeah. a lot of these guys are because they're they are. So young. But I feel like he might take a couple years, but you never know. Like, Paul George was really, like, when we put him into the starting lineup his rookie year when Frank Vogel took over for Jim O'Brien, he was rusty. His shot was. was, like, kind of gross-looking. But he just had those intangibles that you cannot replace. And that comes with size, that comes with athleticism, and that comes with just, you know, not being NBA ready, but just that that mold of an NBA player. The length, the intangibles, like he just felt like a guy that made a lot of sense and nobody really knew who he was, right? Fresno State. I mean, yeah. this guy couldn't even get off the bench. For I know Jim O'Brien was not uh, keen on playing the young guys, but at the same point, he couldn't get off the bench for the first half of the season. So yeah. with Zaire, you know, look, you're not expecting a, a starter right now, but you're getting a very talented player that kind of underperformed at Stanford. And I think that the best is going to be shown on the next level. But if you can get that, those two-way players, they don't come around often. Yeah. And the Pacers need that. Yeah, no, I agree. I like I like him a lot, but I, I don't want to sit here and say who I want to who I want to draft. I just want to look at some of these prospects because yep. this is something we need to look at. And so this season he averaged 10.7 points, 4.6 rebounds, 2.2 assists. He shot uh only 29% from three. Yeah. Not and, not great overall. Yeah. That wise, look, it, it, it's easy to look at that and be like, what? Give me the guy who's, who averaged 20 points per game. But this year's draft class has a bunch of seniors that are, you know, floating around that lotto to top 20 range. And I think the Pacers need to take the shot at one of the best available players, get the best possible talent. And Zaire Williams, I, I think, is a guy with major upside. Now, I do not, I don't want to, I don't want to write off all seniors, but. 
That's not the route I think the Pacers need to take. I think they need to go the best possible player, even if it's going to take a year or two. Yeah, so a guy that I want to highlight here is somebody that I think could make some sense based on the Pacers' history of drafting players, and that's Franz uh, Wagner from Michigan. Sophomore, six foot nine, 220 pounds. He is the brother of Mo Wagner. I believe Mo is with the Celtics now. I can't even remember. He uh, got cut recently, so he might okay. not be with the team anymore. Okay, because he was with the Wizards. He got traded to the team, yep. and then I think he got was traded to the Bulls, and the Bulls traded to the Celtics. I can't remember, but anyway. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, so so Mo Wagner was a guy that was on the Lakers when he got drafted. A lot of people liked him out of Michigan. His younger brother, Franz, went there. Quite frankly, has the same birthday as me, August 27th, so maybe that's why I was oh, interested in him. That's why you picked him. Maybe, yeah. maybe it was. Actually, I heard someone talking about him, and I thought, Man, this is uh, this is interesting because they had him up really high on their on their, you know, big board, and I thought, really Wagner like over some of these guys like that. I was surprised like, um, the uh, the Barnes kid, I think his name is Scotty Barnes. Uh, Scotty yeah. Barnes, yeah, I was having a brain fart there with his first name. Like they picked him over Scotty Barnes on their big board, and I was kind of surprised by that, just because of you know potential. But this year he was really good in the Big Ten. Shot 34% from three this year. Not great, but it's better from 31 last year. 12.5 points a game. He was a no-show, though, when they lost to UCLA, going like one of 10 for four points. So yeah, that was rough. That that definitely is something to look at. But I kind of look at him similar to how the Pacers looked at Gogo Batadze. He's from Germany, and he played in the German Pro Leagues for like two or three years before coming over to, to Michigan. He's only 19 and a half years old. He's six foot nine, 220. So he's got good size. Um, you know, and I think that based on everything I've read about him, you know, some of the NBA comparisons, this is going to make some of you all want to throw up. But Mike Dunleavy is one of them. Oh, man. Uh, another one was Nemanja Bialica. When I heard people kind of talking about him, it, it sounded like when I heard this person talking about them, talking about their big board the first person I thought of was Bojan Bogdanovic. And I thought this is a guy that might be a project like Bojan was because look, um, Franz is a better defender than people give him credit for. Like not an elite defender. But well, he's, how he's, about this? Alex looked up third in the nation in defensive box plus minus. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not like a, like a guy that you're going to be like, Oh, he's a great defender, like overall, but he showed some really good, yep. you know, defensive skill sets. The Pacers need that. They need a bigger guy that can do that. Um, you know, so I get a little nervous when I look at Wagner because of like the pros and like the cons, because I've heard Denny Abdia from, from last year's draft as a comparison. I've heard um, other guys and because of Michigan, uh, the guy that the Knicks ended up acquiring uh, Brad. Well, I can't even think of his oh, name. Like Ignace Brodzikas. Yes. Yes. That's, that's exactly like, Oh man, he could be like that big of a buzz. So I feel oh, like there, there are some pros and cons with him, but he is, he is an, uh, a Caucasian man, which is very similar with the Pacers, <laughs> you know, uh, drafting history. So I, I thought like, you know, but I think he's got good ball handling, good NBA ready body, been in a lot of big games before. I think that he's someone you could plug in and, and really kind of fit that mold off your bench. I'm not expecting him to be like some dynamic player. So to say he's number one on my my list of guys to bring forward does not mean that I think he's the guy that I want, but I think he's someone that could be in that range. And at that point in this range, depending on where the Pacers finish at and where they get in the lottery, he could be somebody with the most potential, maybe the best overall in, or college career, you know, heading into the draft. And I think that a lot of the similarities to him and Goga, basically, like I said earlier with him playing in like the BBL before coming over to college, 
there's some interest there. But yeah, I mean, NBA draft that has him as a 92 overall. Uh, NBA draft room, they said that um, you know, nice scoring ability, high efficient with highly efficient with the shots. Um, his three point shooting ability will be his meal ticket in the excuse me in the NBA. Uh, crafty score in the lane and from mid range, 80% free throw shooter. Heady player who understands spacing, pace, and how to find cutting teammates and where to be on the court. So basically, to me, this could be your Doug McDermott replacement. Yeah, I mean, also a guy at 6'9", I mean, he's got really good height. I mean, Franz was someone that I was researching earlier. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I was intrigued by, I, I wasn't sold, but only because of his brother. And I know that's not right, but I just know that's like, hey, look, he's definitely going to be better than Mo. He is. But, but you got to then wonder how much better than Mo and uh, right, right there, you know, I think he's got much higher, you know, upside and potential. But everybody, Alex and I will be reviewing, you know, one to two potential guys, you know, per episode or or in the episodes coming up. So these are not our end all, be all. This is who we want the Pacers to select. These are just some guys that we have our eyes on that could be where the Pacers are picking. Yeah, we're just throwing names out at you so you guys kind of get familiar with these prospects so you have an idea like, oh, man, like how do they feel? And we'll we'll get into all that later, who we want and what they think. But I will say this from NBADraftRoom.com, their top five, actually top six 2021 small forwards, they've got Scotty Barnes at number one. Number two, they got Jonathan Kuminga. So they actually have Barnes over Kuminga, which I find interesting because every mocked Draft that's, that I've seen has Kuminga, uh, Kuminga over Barnes. That's the first time I've seen it with Scotty yeah. Barnes over him. Yeah, so they've got Zaire Williams at three, Jalen Johnson at four, Corey Kisper at five, and Franz Wagner at six. So, you know, just thought we'd jump in there and talk about some of those guys. Obviously, next week we'll talk about different players, but those are some of the draft prospects that we wanted to talk about today. And so moving forward now, Fachi, Let's talk a little playing game. So the Pacers right now are where at in the standings, Fudge. So we are ninth, one game out of eighth, and the things are getting a bit tight. Only two games up on Washington, and we're now four games up on Chicago, which is just they look like they are disappearing. Yeah, so Chicago's gone three and seven in their last ten games. Toronto is right there with Chicago. They're four games behind us. They are five and five. In their last 10 games, Toronto has a really tough schedule coming up. Um, they've, they've got the, the Nets, the Nuggets, and the Cavs in this month. And then heading into May, they've got the Jazz, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Wizards, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, <laughs> the Mavericks, the Pacers, and the Bulls. So they have got a very tough schedule. So if they're able to pull that out, I'll be surprised. Pacers have a relatively easy schedule. Washington, they're a team that I think is just – they've been so hot, Foch. They've been on fire. And if we're looking at it right now, Miami would play Charlotte. The Pacers would play Washington. How do you feel like that game would go, Fletch? Look, everybody listening here knows those are your Washington Wizards. But what I need, <laughs> what I need to point out right now is I know Washington is on fire and you can't control who you play. But they have won 9 out of 10 
but only one of those teams is a playoff team, and that is Utah. So I don't want to overlook it, but you can only you can only beat who's in front of you. And right now they are hot. So we saw the last time we faced Washington without Bradley Beal, <laughs> Russell Westbrook unfortunately put on a historic performance and contributed on 88 points. Whether it was you know through scoring assists. Whatever it was, it was just – it was nuts. We had no answer for them. So, None. if Washington's going to continue to play the way they're playing, I don't feel good about that because in a, you know, a best two out of three game series, uh, Beal and Russ have a chance to be the best players on the court throughout those three games. Yeah, well, it would actually just be, I think, if it's just the 9 and 10, I think it's just winner takes all for that, right? I love how we've talked about this a couple episodes ago, but now that they added the playing game for the nine and 10, instead of just, you know, eight versus nine, it's, it's now seven versus eight and nine versus 10. And it, it gets confusing. Uh, I would imagine for nine and 10, it probably just is winner take all one game. Yeah, I think it is. I think so. The winner of seven, eight gets seven. Winner of nine, 10 gets nine. Winner of eight, nine, or winner of the winner of nine, 10 plays loser of seven, eight. And whoever loses that game is out of the playoffs. So really, if you're the eighth seed, you could get beat twice and you're done. Yeah. So really, I think that it's just a one-game play, and it's like a little mini NCAA tournament for those four teams. And, and quite frankly, like if you're Miami, you're sitting there, you know, tied with Boston, but they got the tiebreaker. You know, you're in the seventh seed. You're playing Charlotte. Like Charlotte's a team that's only going to get better because they're getting Lamelo Ball back, and I think Gordon Hayward will be back closer than. Uh, people realize, and they looked really good against Boston yesterday. The Pacers, like, I, I would not sit here and be like, man, you know, uh, I want to play Washington over Charlotte, but it's just yeah. like, it's so confusing. I have no idea which of these three teams I would rather face from the Pacers, but I think that through a total of 12 quarters, the Pacers really, out of 11 of them, have played really well against Miami. Not saying that's a matchup I desire, but I think that they just fit better against them this year. But in a playing game, I just, you know, you can't trust this Pacers team to beat a, a beat an Eric Spolster-led Miami Heat team. Not at all. I mean, I just think when it comes to coaching there, it's like I don't even think you need to say no offense to Nate Bjorkman, but Eric Spolster 1,000% has the advantage there. I mean, that guy can, can switch everything up right on the fly, and, and you know, Miami's going to be in a better position. Right now, it's it's sad, but Alex, there's not one appealing matchup here across. How I, I think if you go from one to ten, obviously if you, nope. you have to remove us, but there's no one that I want to play. I <laughs> think that you play Washington in a one game thing. It, it's sad because you know where I live, there's a bunch of people that are Wizards fans, and I give them such a hard time. But lately, even I've had to button up, you know, my, my mouth and zip it because they're winning games, and and in a one game playing. Russell Westbrook, I mean, you never know what kind of rush you're going to get. And Bradley Beal, I mean, let's not discount. He could easily put up 30 every single night. It's what he averages. I yeah. Mean, a really good score. So I don't like our odds in that game. Well, next Monday we play the Wizards. And then I believe that same week on Saturday we play the Wizards again. So we're going to get a good feel of how this Pacers team. games. They're, they're going to be huge. I think the Pacers, you're going to really see, like, how do they go against the Wizards? And if the Wizards win all three of those games, they're going to have uber confidence coming into a playing game against us. And, you know, I don't think that – I don't think Toronto or Chicago will catch us in this in this situation. But I wouldn't feel good against either of those teams either. I, I really wouldn't with the way the Pacers have been playing overall this year. 
not saying they couldn't win, but I just I would not like it. But let's let's just say hypothetically the Pacers do somehow get the eight seed and Miami gets a seven seed out of Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn. Which team do you hope gets the one seed so the Pacers could face in a first-round playoff series? Now, this was one of the saddest things I've done in a while, breaking down how it would go against these teams. One, the Pacers have absolutely no answer for Embiid, especially if there's no Turner, who has unfortunately struggled mightily against Embiid. No offense to Turner. That is a tough matchup. And we don't know what the status is of Sabonis. Then you got the Nets. So you got James Harden, Durant, Kyrie, and a whole bunch of other, you know, good, promising role players. Uh, and then there's the Bucks. Obviously, we have no Giannis stopper. I mean, no disrespect to Drew Holiday and Chris Milton, who are very good players. But it, it's tough when you go down against those three. Now, I looked at it. The Bucks have destroyed us this year. And they're undefeated in the division. So that doesn't seem too good. And then also at 119.3 points per game, they're the highest scoring team in the league. And, well, defensively, we struggle. So then you look at Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have a win against either of those teams on the year. Harden was an MVP candidate if he had played enough. Embiid is a strong MVP candidate, but obviously he missed some time. So then we're looking at it. We're breaking it down. Okay, but just who? Who can we potentially have, you know, some success against? Alex, if we're talking about who can we maybe win a game off of, then, you know, I think you got to look, you got to narrow it down to probably Philly and the Bucks. But just to, you know, who, if we have to pick one, I'm probably going to go with the Bucks just because I feel like what if Giannis just struggles? If he just has a struggle and the rest of the core between Drew Holiday and Chris Milton, maybe it's winnable. Embiid, unless he physically is not playing, he is going to destroy the Pacers. Then you still have Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons to worry about. So at least the Bucks they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. Same with Philly, so there's a chance. But at the end of the day, Philly lets up the least points per game out of the three of the group, uh, while the Bucks they're, they're giving up about 113. So I knew I threw a lot at you. Long story short, I guess I would choose the Bucks, but I feel horrible as our chances relate to winning any series. Yeah, I don't think we're going to win any series, but no. I think if there's a, a series we could be competitive in out of those three, we just don't have the wings to guard either really any of the teams, but especially Brooklyn and Milwaukee. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah. like, who's going to stop Giannis? Who's going to stop Durant? Who's going to stop any of those guys? Nobody. Literally so nobody. I think that Philly probably gives you the best chance at maybe getting a win in a series. I mean, we're not sitting there acting like they're going to win the series. Yeah. We're just saying get a win, you know, be a little bit competitive. And I think – A I gentleman's think, sweep. Yeah, well, Joel Embiid even said it. Toronto has been the best team to guard him throughout the playoffs um, in his career. He said that – Toronto has given him the most fits. And I think that that does help a little bit knowing Bjorkren knows what they did to kind of stop and beat a little bit. So I think that that could have an impact on uh, Embiid. Did I say Giannis there? I, I probably did on accident, but I was talking about Embiid anyway. So I just think Toronto had that game, that series against Embiid. They made it really tough having both Abaka and Gasol. If Turner can come back and play in the playoffs, then I think those two bigs, they give you – 12 fouls, and then you've got Gogu who can give you another six. So there's 18 fouls you can put out there on Embiid. I think the biggest thing with Philly, let Embiid get his, but you got to stop one of Harris or, or Ben Simmons, and you can't let guys like Danny Green and Seth Curry get hot. 
So you're really much, you're really committing to letting him be getting his own and then trying to stop the rest. And, you know, I, I think that Philadelphia, they're, they're a super good team. And I don't even know who I would pick to come out of the Eastern conference. I mean, if I had a gun to my head, I'd probably say Brooklyn, but you know, the Pacers, the only good thing about the Pacers this year, 18 and 14 on the road, they're one of only four teams in the Eastern Conference to have a road winning record, and that's Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee. And the Pacers are the only teams in the East with winning records on the road. So that does give me a little bit of hope that, hey, they could maybe sneak a game out in games one or two against one of these better teams in a first round series. But at the end of the day, they ain't won the series. So it's kind of stupid to make the playoffs in the beginning. It really is. And it's just like the Pacers, they just won't let us out of this. You know, they won't roll over and die. And at this point, you know, I don't know if you want to say I respect it or, hey, you're you're prolonging our enjoyment out of the season a bit longer to just say, oh, all right. Hey, well, Sumner was fun to watch or O'Shea was nice to watch it. Whatever it is, we, we stand no chance in the end against those three teams. Those are truly juggernaut teams that then you got to ask yourself if you win the playing game and it's like that one meaningful game and then you get bounced in what would be, you know, against, you know, the seventh or eighth seed, is that enough to kind of quench your like, okay, we didn't quite make the playoffs, but we won a meaningful game. Like, is, is that enough? Because this team's there, the May schedule, it gets kind of easy. And I don't yeah. think that this Pacers team is just going to lose out. I think that they're no. probably going to end up getting a bit more healthier. I imagine Goga comes back soon. I imagine Jeremy Lamb could even potentially be back this week that, you know, they're not going to just lose out. So be prepared for a couple more wins. Yeah, and quite frankly, they're only four and a half games out of fourth. So it's Crazy. not like if, if a team like New York or Atlanta, I know they've been playing really well. Atlanta's won like – or excuse me, New York's won nine in a row. Atlanta's seven of – seven of their last 10 they've won. So, I mean, both these teams are hot. I think that uh, Boston's been hot there. The same thing as Atlanta, seven of their last three, but they've lost two in a row now. I just think, you know, one of these teams, like if the Pacers can get in that four or five spot because of a lucky schedule, lucky breaks, I mean, you know, that could be the only thing that's keeping them motivated to try to win games. But I just think big picture here, kind of silly. But anyway, Foch, we've got a couple questions on Twitter. We don't want to, we don't have time to answer them all, but we do appreciate you guys coming on and, um, asking questions and we'll keep these questions saved and um, we'll bring them back and, and try to answer them throughout the week. I know we definitely have another show coming at you later this week, but let's look at these questions here, Fachi. I think one of the ones I wanted to touch on was from my man, Evan Price. He said, why is Aaron Holiday getting zero run down the final stretch of the season? And that was interesting. Uh, someone tweeted at me yesterday and said, uh, you know, why isn't, why isn't Aaron Holiday? Like, what happened with Aaron Holiday? And I thought to myself, man, I, I saw Cassius Stanley getting there before him today, but like I think we'll probably still play Aaron towards the end of the blowout, and they did. I think if he had just got a did not play coach decision in the end, that probably would have been you know a lot worse. But it raised enough eyebrows that Cassius Stanley got in there first. Alex, I don't really know what to make of this. It, it seems that Aaron Holiday. I don't want to say he's been jumped in the rotation, but maybe Cassius Stanley is showing something in practice that. We're not really hearing about it. I know Aaron Holiday lately has has struggled. Uh, you know, he had that that span, the back-to-back 20-point games. It looked like he turned a corner, but it's been pretty ugly ever since. Yeah, 
it doesn't make any sense because Aaron played really well there for a couple of games. And I he thought, did. okay, maybe without Lamb, you know, he's getting that spot in the rotation. Then they even played Amina, Amina Brima a little bit. They played Cassius. And then I think Aaron finally got it with like two minutes left in the yep. fourth quarter. I, I don't know. I just, I hate it for Aaron because one, the biggest thing is, is you're just completely killing his trade value by not playing him. If he gets out there and shows some nice, you know, minutes while he's getting limited time, Teams might be like, wow, we really want him because, you know, he can he can do something. We just need to get that untapped potential and uh, unlock it. And I think that with Bjorkman, it's just – quite frankly, I think Quinn Buckner said it best last night. Edmund Sumner has played so well that Aaron Holiday is not getting his minutes back. And that's kind of been the storyline. I mean – Facts. Get, I mean, Edmund Sumner deserves it. And you can't say anything about it. TJ McConnell, he's been playing great this year. All the guards above Aaron have, have earned their minutes. So – Cassius Stanley getting some run. I think that there's other games that Cassius should have got into the game, like yes. when they played the Thunder and they only played eight players. That made no sense. I mean, I'm sorry, but what what are we doing? I mean, just give him like five minutes. There's no reason to play your your starters, you know, 39, 42 minutes against an OKC team that's tanking. Um, you know, they, they really want to win. That's, that's the bottom line. I said that on the pod that I was on as a guest. I said – you know the Pacers aren't trying to tank or aren't trying to lose when they're playing Brogdon and Levert like close to 40 minutes against a terrible Thunder team. They wanted to win that game so badly. I don't understand the whole process of, you know, <laughs> winning at all costs against a team that's tanking without giving some of your guys some talent or some minutes to play and prove their talent. But it's just like whatever. Um, Aaron Holiday, I just – he doesn't really seem to fit this system as well as I think a lot of people were hoping he would. I think, quite frankly, he did better with a coach that kind of was a little bit tougher, more structured like Nate McMillan. And hopefully, you know, if the Pacers do make a move in the offseason, they can find him a home, similar to what they were trying to do for TJ Lee, find him a home where he can get more playing time. Yeah, I mean, he, to wrap that up, even when I was looking at potential prospects uh, that the Pacers could be looking at, you know, point guard was an intriguing option. I, mean, I thought to myself, you know, hey, if the Pacers draft a point guard, you know, that's 100%. That's the end of Aaron Holiday. I think that that's you're, you're getting rid of him. And then also the McConnell situation we'll find out with, but as this goes on, if he continues to not get playing time, the Pacers make the playoffs. You can't imagine he's going to get playing time then. So yeah, yeah. it's not looking promising guys. It is not. So I want to answer a, another question here. This comes from Chris uh, Drubert. He said, seeing how the offense defense looks with players who actually fit the system, should we expect more than just a center move this offseason, a.k.a. bigger turnover in the roster? Fachi, what are your thoughts? I do think we should because I talked about it in the past. I mean, Bjorkren, this was such a strange offseason that they did not have an opportunity to build a team around the system. He just had to work with what he had, and I think that this showed that there's a lot of holes and flaws on this team and that I think that needs to be addressed and I think that all signs point to you can't continue to just run this two-center lineup. It's just – it's not the answer. And right now, I mean, not many guys really do fit the defensive scheme. I mean, they really don't. That's why when you, when you saw a guy like O'Shea, it felt like, in my, my opinion, fit, it showed. It was like this is a guy who's playing real well right over here that, wow, we need more of this. But he also had familiarity with yeah. the system. So I don't want to say that it was a surprise because it still is a surprise anytime you sign a guy to a 10-day contract that ends up, you know, turning into a three-year deal and puts up 23 and, you know, 13 or whatever it was. 
But yeah, the, the players don't really fit the system. And I think that you do need to make more than, you know, just getting your players back healthy. Yeah. So I would say that I agree with what you're saying. And I think that there are going to be some more changes besides one of the centers. I think that depending on who you get back and what you trade, you could include Jeremy Lamb or Aaron Holiday in one of those trades. I agree. And that does not include bringing back your free agents, Jakar Sampson, Doug McDermott, or TJ McConnell. I, I think that they're going to keep one of those three, uh, definitely yeah. keep one of those three. I don't think they'll keep all three. Good possibility they keep two, depending on the price, but I think that more than likely they only keep one of those three. And then you kind of just see what you have. You get a draft pick, you you know, make a trade, and what you get back in the trade could mean a lot, you know. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the Pacers are going to do, and I know we'll talk about this later as I kind of wrap my mind around what I think they'll do trading-wise, center-wise, but I do think that you could attach Jeremy Lamb's contract to one of the centers to get you a player back that maybe makes more sense for your roster, um, but that's, that's just where I'm at with it. So, yeah, I do think that there do needs – I think there does need to be some more moves made than just one of the centers. It's deeper than that to me, but let's wrap it up here with uh, Sam. He has a question. He goes – what do you think Brissett's ceiling is? How good do you think he could be? And he said the same question about that for Edmund Sumner. So I'll let you start again, Foch. Uh For O'Shea's ceiling, man, I don't want to cap the guy after just about, you know, six games or whatever it is, but I see him as this backup four next year. I, I really do. I, I think that he has, you know, so far earned the right to – to be in the rotation next year, not just like a guy on the roster, but a guy getting minutes next year. And I think the best is yet to come. So I'm excited to see what he has, you know, moving forward. But Edwin Sumner, to cover the second part of the question, I mean, I know he's not going to be a starter next year, but he's starting to push six-man vibes. And I feel like that's something where you can't just all of a sudden yank Sumner's minutes away. Like, this is a guy who has legitimately progressed, and I cannot wait to see how much better he gets next year. Because Sumner was, it sounds rough, he was a horrible three-point shooter. And he showed that he's more than capable this year, that I see him being that sixth, seventh man next year without a doubt. And I, I would only say I, I can't see him as a starter just because if you bring back the current team, you obviously have, you know, you have your, your Brogdon and Levert and then, you know, you're moving forward. You have TJ Warren. It's like, you know, you're not going to start Edmund Sumner at the three, but it's just, you can't have him as a starter, but I think sixth man, seventh man, that's what I see him as. Yeah, no, I, I think overall, when I when I look at the ceiling of O'Shea Brissett, it's really hard to tell because he's he can shoot the three. He can play good defense. Um, there's a lot of good players. I mean, I, I guess a guy that could kind of fit that mold, maybe not as good, but Matt Barnes, a guy that really was just a good, solid role player on a lot of teams, never was a, like a, a superstar, but a guy that just fit a lot of teams very well wherever he went. Had a long NBA career because of it, and all he needed was an opportunity. So I think that you kind of look at a, uh, a ceiling like that for him, like a, a similar to Matt Barnes, maybe not that same edge that Matt Barnes had, but, you know, just skill-wise. I saw a comparison to his uh, scouting report that said Jabari Parker, a healthy but poor man to Jabari Parker. So that kind of makes sense because Jabari Parker, like everything that O'Shea is doing is what you expected Jabari to do, but he just kept getting and riddled hurt. by injuries. So. Yeah. That's that's a good thing. I just I feel like he's got plenty of room to grow. I think he could be 
a ninth, eighth or ninth man off the bench for this team next year. Um, yeah. he, he might fall out of the 10-11 spot depending on who they get because I, I think that he's insurance if you lose some of those free agents that I mentioned. If you make a trade, like you trade two for one or something like that just to get salaries to match up, he could fill one of those voids. I mean, I like him a lot. I think he's a good player, and you're going to have him for cheap. Edmund Sumner, I mean, if he keeps playing with this kind of confidence, what's going to stop him? I mean, he might be gunning for one of the starting positions. <laughs> you know, he said it, six man. I, I mean, I don't know if he can sustain that for 82 games, yeah. but he brings energy. I don't know either. Yeah, he brings a ton of energy. He's uh he's a guy that you love having on your team that you hate to play against. Very active, never afraid of the moment. That's what I love about him. I mean, no matter who they put him on, he just embraces that challenge. So I think that just having him on your bench and, and actually giving him an opportunity like like Bjorkman has has really shown that hey, this is a guy that I, I believe that this team believes in, this franchise believes in. And would you go out and say that he is quite frankly the best pick that Kevin Pritchard has had in his uh four-year tenure? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to argue that because yeah. he really hasn't been success. Um, so I think Edmund Sumner's got to be that guy that you're looking at and you say, all right, you know what, That's it's got to be Sumner. And I just love that how the Pacers found an opportunity to, you know, find like a diamond in the rough kind of say, to say, because he was hurt, you know, that they, they found a guy, they, they they took a shot at him and they, they gambled early by giving him a deal and everything paid off. And this is a guy that, it's crazy. I don't even think I don't even think it's crazy anymore. But I think Sumner can average double figures next year. I think he oh, yeah. can put up ten points per game. I don't think it's that crazy anymore. And when you look at some of Pritchard's, you know, picks recently, I I think that Sumner's the guy that has to kind of rise to the top as, as the guy that there is potential in. And not I, to say there isn't a potential in Gogo, there definitely is. Mm-hmm. But so far this year, Sumner has taken a massive leap forward. Yeah, so I think everything that the Pacers fans wanted out of Aaron Holiday, they've gotten out of uh, Edmund Sumner. The three-point shooting has been pretty good. He's able to, you know, attack the basket now, and he's so good at that. Um, he's going to become a better free-throw shooter. I know he's worked on a shot. There was a, either a story on that or there was a, a comment that he made about working on a shot. I mean, there's just a lot of different things that you have seen him put in the work. He's been a project. He had really bad injury uh, you know, history coming out of Xavier. I think he more than likely would have been a, a, a first-round pick. He had probably injuries. a late first-round pick. Yeah, so, I mean, he would have been a first-round pick, not in the late second round where he was drafted, you know, middle to late second round. So, yeah, the Pacers took a chance on a guy, and this is what they got. You know, they've given up on some of the guys, like we mentioned before, Alizé Johnson, uh, Georges Niang, and, and, of course, T.J. Leaf, and some of those guys have painted to be better players than others. But I just – I just sit here and I say, hey, this is a this is a move that Kevin Pritchard made, and they went out and got him. I think they actually traded to get that draft pick. So, mm-hmm. so getting Edmund here and giving him a chance and seeing what he's done, I mean, I love seeing Kevin Pritchard down there by the locker room, so excited when these guys are playing, high-fiving them. You know, he's probably just pumped to see these young guys get an opportunity and play well because that's something that we didn't see with McMillan. Um, and if you want to be anything critical of McMillan, it was he did not play his young guys because – all in all, the mandate is to win. Now, he did play them when he needed to, when they were down injuries, and that's kind of what Bjorkman's doing. But, yeah, I think that – I think he's definitely your Jeremy Lamb replacement and makes Jeremy Lamb extremely expendable this next season. So, I'm uh, I'm completely fine with it. I love Edmund Sumner, and I'm excited to see him grow. But, Fachi, it's been a long show, but I think it's uh, – we've talked a lot, of, a lot about of uh, things we need to talk about, and we're going to have another show coming up this week. But uh, where can the people find us at on social media? 
So you could find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. And you could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And no matter if the Pacers win or lose, if you're a true fan, all you can do is stand up, put your hands in the air, and say these three words Let's go, Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.